Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome listeners to the first of a fury of discussions on a fantastic franchise. Could I use any more F words that are not swear words? Woo, I was about to say, this is a family-friendly <laughs> podcast. Family-friendly, of course. Oh! More, more F words. <laughs> well, if you don't know by now, I'm Patch, and with me as always, repping my crew, mi familia, my best friend, and co-host, Aaron. Hey, hey, well, you know, don't expect a 10-second car from me, my friend, because that ain't happening. It's probably not expecting a 10-minute car from me either. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm lucky if I can get mine out the driveway. <laughs> if you haven't already guessed or if you've just been absent from social media, we are taking this summer and covering one of our favorite franchises, The Fast and the Furious. It's one we consider tackling anyway leading up to the ninth installment that has actually been delayed, but we figured with the time we have, we might as well do it anyway. Just a bit of housekeeping before we get into our discussion, as we are going through this little journey, little, it's like seven movies, so it's not a little, uh, we decided to tackle this in the FF timeline order, not necessarily in the order in which the films were released. So for those of you keeping score, we will go one, two, four, five, six, and this is where I get fuzzy. Is it seven and then three or three and then seven? No, it's three and then seven. And then Got we, it, yeah. We've already covered eight and Hobbs and Shaw, so we will not be recovering those. Right. And if you're interested in the eighth one, it's episode 54. So if oh, you're good. Playing, playing along, then keep up and uh, enjoy everything gonna, that's going Not going to tell them what the Hobbs and Shaw episode is, Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> we have a search bar. You can go look for it. <laughs> It doesn't hold to the tenets of feeling films positivity so much, so we'll just pretend that one didn't happen. <laughs> well, spoiler alert for that. We'll, uh... <laughs> Sorry, we'll Colby. Going. Sorry. You know, we're haters. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into our one word takeaways. Aaron, kick us off. Well, I think we should just say family, man, for like every... I think this... It's family, right? Uh, yeah, for the entire really. franchise. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not family... I, people should probably not take us seriously. Or maybe Corona. That would be good. Corona You're drinking a Corona. I want to give you props. I appreciate that. And since I'm not a beer drinker, I'm drinking. I'm not drinking anything I want to mention on air and get <laughs> laughed at. But it's not a Corona. I, but it's also not a beer, so I can't be wrong, yeah. right? Yeah. I've got se I've got six more of these waiting for every episode we're going to cover. <laughs> that's amazing. So just, just just know that that's coming. Yeah, Dom says any beer you want, as long as it's a Corona. He doesn't say you can have any drink, so I feel like water, coffee, we're, we're good there. It's just beer. Right. Um, but yeah, no, family man has to be the word for this franchise. It's what you and I collectively love the most about this franchise, I think. I can spoil that right up front. It's what most people love the most about this franchise, I think. And it's a very special one for us. I'll go into more about it later, but... For me, I just, I think I'll start here by saying briefly that the importance for me is the way in which family is depicted in this non-biological way. I'm that guy who doesn't think that I have to treat people a certain way because they are the son or daughter of my mother's sister 
or whatever the case may be. Like it or not, I mean, you can have a disagreement with me and that's fine, but I just don't believe that that is something that should allow someone to have a preferential treatment in my life. I judge people accordingly and I judge them all evenly and I treat them all equally. And so if you earn my trust, if you have a reason to be in my life because you want to be there, you're engaged, then that's great if we have a relationship. But if you're a cousin that I see once or twice in my lifetime at family reunions, I'm sorry. You don't mean as much to me as my best friend who I podcast with every single week. And that's just how I feel. And I and I think that the Fast and the Furious franchise, obviously kicking off with this movie, we see that right from the get-go is this unique group of people who've come together who most people from the outside would look at and say, that's a gang, that's a crew, whatever you want to call it, but they wouldn't call them a family. And we get to see beyond just the criminal acts. We see the meals. We see the bonding. We see them go through hardships together, take care of each other. This is what family is, Patrick. It's it's shared values. It's commitment to one another. And I love it. And it's the kind of family that I would want to be a part of. Whether you want to call them friends, family, whatever, that's what makes it special to me. It's a great franchise. And for that very reason, because it redefines, like you mentioned, what family is or what it should be, that it doesn't have to look like what we think it is. And in a lot of ways, it's built on action, not necessarily on blood. So yeah, I would say family is probably my one more takeaway for this. And if it becomes the same one for all of them, then so be it. But that definitely leads into what I wanted to talk about first, which is the franchise as a whole. We did this for our Indiana Jones trilogy, where we talked about what it was that we enjoyed most about this. What is it about the franchise that makes it special? And I got to tell you, I didn't love this franchise when it first came out. I saw the first one and I was like, that's fun. The second one did not appeal to me at all. And by the time we got to the third entry in the franchise, I was like, okay, I'm off. This has just kind of gone off the rails. I guess they're just throwing the words Fast and the Furious and then throwing new cars on it. So whatever. And I think it was about the time that we heard about Paul Walker's death. And I was like, you know what? I like Paul Walker a lot. I have grown to love him as an actor. First got to see him in The Skulls. And I just I loved his charisma. So before the seventh one released, I decided to binge the first six. And I absolutely fell in love with him. I don't even remember when, when the seventh one came out. So we were we were not even podcasting, obviously. But watching how the story progresses, seeing how it became an exciting first movie to a let's make money off of this idea to let's see where it goes to eventually bringing itself back around to this core group of individuals led by Dom and Brian and Letty, all of these characters that had made the first one so special came back eventually and found their footing. And by the time we get into this middle section of films, this is when I feel like the Fast and the Furious found its identity 
but the infancy of it was rooted in this first movie. And I think what sets it apart for me is the fact that it sort of held true to its core. It did go off the rails a little bit, but it found a way to reconstruct itself as the movies kept getting produced. And it's not perfect by any means, but it's enjoyable and it's meaningful. And when you buy into that core idea of family, everything else with its spectacular portrayal of car chases and the amped up nature of all this action really becomes icing on the cake. And it becomes an enjoyable movie to watch. And you don't have to justify it by saying, oh, yeah, that's just popcorn fodder or that's just mindless entertainment. No, it's not. There is an element of fun that exists inside this franchise all the way through. And it's almost like the Mission Impossible franchise where you kind of accept the ridiculousness of some of the elements. It's what I think Hobbs and Shaw was banking on, which is this over-the-top excitement, action stars. But where I think it missed its mark is that it didn't have that core value of what I believe personally Justin Lin set right with the franchise when he was directing. Yeah, I mean, I agree 100% that Justin Lin did that. And I'm so excited for him to come back, like beyond crazy excited for these last couple of installments. Mia's coming back as well. Since we're not going to talk about eight, we might as well just sprinkle this stuff in throughout. Maybe we should just give that disclaimer too. Like, look, we're talking about the first movie here, but it's not like we're not going to refer to moments throughout the series at any given time. It is what it is. Deal with it. (laughs) So yes, this franchise is amazing. Unlike you, Patrick, I came to it right when it came out, and I was immediately taken by it. It is so cool. That was my first takeaway and almost my one-word takeaway. If it wasn't going to be family, it would have just been cool. The scene was something I have never experienced in my life up until this point. I was not familiar with street racing other than Need for Speed video games. You know what I mean? Through that to that point in time. The personalities of the characters, they all were big and interesting and unique. The cars were just sick and awesome. And we all, we, went, we all wanted to drive one. We all wanted to go racing. The music was perfect, perfect fit for this. I th- still remember that I was so obsessed with this that I lived in an area where I found out there was a street racing element going on near me i knew people that were in this racing culture actually and i was all hyped and patrick you know me i get excited about things and i go crazy and i want to like be all in them so luckily i stopped myself before i tried to do any crazy stuff like racing myself but i did end up tricking out (laughs) that's probably the wrong word for this but like I got this light up neon speedometer thing for my car. So I got like a, a actual unique part for my car. So my neon alt, Nissan Altima was like glowing on the inside. It was, it was terrible. Like I didn't have cool rims or anything. Those were all too expensive, but I was like, Oh, you know, like it's like a $50 part or whatever it was. So that was my version of making my car look like I was part of racing culture. You know, that's what this movie did. Like it sucks you in. It made you want to be a part of that world, not necessarily the criminal part of that world, but just the fun racing part of that world. And 
it happened here. It happened locally where I live. Like, streets would get shut down for this. Cops would come. They were trying to move around where the races would happen so that cops wouldn't be there. There's a lot of reality to what we see go on in this first movie. Um, and I also remember the first heist, like, so vividly. The just complete creativity in which this heist happens was unlike anything I'd seen before up until that point. And it's really not topped until we get to Fast Five and the safe moment. It's the idea of these cars, like, sliding underneath a semi-truck. I, I mean, it, it kind of, you know, it loses a little bit of its luster now when you look at it graphically going back, what, 20 years? But it's still amazing. And you're like, oh my gosh, can that car actually do that? Is it going to make it? Things like that were just awesome to watch, in my opinion. And I think that the reason that, you know, you know, those are the reasons I love this movie. The reasons I love the whole franchise as a whole, I feel like this is just one of the only franchises I can think of that has continued on for a long period of time and continually evolved into something else that was also entertaining. It was done under a handful of different directors and introducing new characters along the way. And even though sometimes they felt repetitive, but for the roles that they played within the story, they were always incredibly entertaining. And ultimately, I am never fail to get sucked into this world emotionally and care about the characters. And that is what makes it awesome. Because you can watch action all day long and be like, that looks cool. But when you care about the people, that's when the movie is elevated. That's when the story is elevated to something that you're really to use what my son likes to say these days and my, my daughter, I'm vibing with, with the Fast and the Furious franchise. Yeah, when I think about everything you said, I agree in the fact that the people are at the heart of this. And early on, I know that the first movie has been criticized for being, quote, point break of street racing, which it's a fair criticism. I mean, there are, <laughs> there aren't just similarities. I mean, we have similar characters, similar story beats. What I think makes this different, Aaron, is two things. One, it's the fact that Point Break centered around three individuals. It centered around Bodie, it centered around Johnny, and it centered around the girl. And it was fine. And you had a sense of it being driven by a heist with highlights being Bodie's love for the ocean and surfing and finding that perfect wave. What I think sets the fast and the furious apart is that one, that formula works because I really love point break and it didn't need to be remade. Let me just say that up front. And I think that it's fine to reuse the formula where I think the Fast and the Furious excels is the fact that it not only takes what worked in Point Break, but it amplifies it. And there are extreme moments in both movies. Street racing, I think, is one of those great appeals. You have that opening scene, not opening scene, you have the opening race that is spectacular. All the neon, the bright colored cars, it's 
familiar to everybody that's actually in it. They're spray painting the starting line. They have people on CBs listening for the police and they're sending out signals. Hey, we're clear. We're clear. There's a homicide on the other side of town. And there's something incredibly appealing about the energy and the adrenaline that you get from possibly being caught. So all that stuff is getting wrapped in. And then you start finding the mythos of NOS and all these young people. Everything just feels over the top. Everything feels completely like embellished. And you know what? In some ways it probably is because I don't know apart from spring break where you get that many good looking people, guys and girls in one place on a Thursday night. I'm assuming it was just on a weeknight. <laughs> but I think the other thing, Aaron, that appeals to me is the fact that we're not just talking about Dom and Brian and Letty and Mia. We're talking about all four of those along with the rest of the crew. And not that everybody gets a subplot, but I felt like everybody in that crew, in that family, had a purpose. With the exception of, I think you mentioned offline, this one guy that just kind of disappeared. And Leon. His name Leon. is Leon. It okay. took me like half the movie and I was like, there he oh, is. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a conversation. Yeah, where did, yes. you know, where did Leon and, um, yeah, those guys, they just kind of came up and they said, yeah. He does get one epic moment, I will say. There is a slow motion montage during the final heist where he has to, it's the most dramatic and so stupid thing. And he's like, jump! I'm going back for Luddy. I got her. Or whatever. And he like whips his car around and we zoom in on his face and he like scowls like really hard. <laughs> and like the car. Oh man, it is the most like 90s cheese. And I love it. Whatever. It fits the movie perfectly. But like sure. he gets a moment that I was really happy about because I was like, why is this guy here for most of the movie? Anyway, sorry. I'm dying. I'm changing. But the point being in that I, I what makes me love the movie is the fact that all those elements come together to feel entertaining, appealing, and as you mentioned, connectable that the, the writing in this movie is in some ways ridiculous, but in some ways quotable. Like I love how cool Don is the moment, <laughs> the moment that Brian, after blowing out his engine, essentially, at the end of the race says, dude, I almost had you. And Dom's like, you almost had me. <laughs> you never had me. You never had your car. And like the whole crowd's like, Ooh, I mean, this is what high school was like for me when somebody would get quote busted out. And it could have just been this montage or, or this complete just blow up of really funny lines. But at the end of that, Dom says, Ask anyone, ask any real racer. It doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning is winning. And and then he holds his arms out. And I'm like, dude, that guy's cool. Like, that guy is who I want to hang out with. And you see the look on Brian's face. And knowing what we know about their relationship further on, I love how this relationship starts. And I don't know that we get that in previous iterations like Point Break necessarily that we get we get it to an extent but for the most part we start to kind of attract ourselves to this kind of generation I've never been someone who surfed I've never been someone who skydived I've driven I haven't driven like that but you and I Mommel Boulevard would disagree well, yeah <laughs> this is true without headlights so maybe we did do street racing yeah we just, did we yeah. did that was so dumb 
That was so dumb. Absolutely. But I think that's what makes this set itself apart in terms of, yes, it might be the point break of street racing, but it's the fast. And the, I think 15 years from now, somebody's going to say, oh, that's the fast and the furious of insert whatever here, because I think it's set itself apart as a as a franchise. Yeah, I mean, listen, the criticism or the comparison, I will say, is there because it's true. It does follow the point break formula almost to a T, which is fine because point break is effing awesome, man. And I don't even know, like, why haven't we covered this Bigelow classic? I think we had been holding off on it because it was one of those things. Yeah, director battle month where we needed four good films from each director in that. Uh, that competition in order to have that person in the bracket. And we were like, well, we can't do any Bigelow movies because of this. Maybe we'll pull away from that um, and be able to do these because Point Break has got to get on the show at some point. But anyway, I think like Point Break, and you mentioned, you know, the surfing and the skydiving, this takes a unique niche culture and puts us in that setting and, you know, uses the same undercover cop that infiltrates a quote unquote gang and who's performing heists, you know, and it sees him start to bond with them in a way that makes him question his loyalty to the man, his job. And also that gets conflicted with his need for a relationship that is fulfilled by being with that crew and, or including, you know, the love interest. And I think that honestly, we love it because it's a wonderful moral dilemma, Patrick, to explore. And it's one that I think we can all easily relate to because feeling conflicted about a relationship that you have with someone who has made a questionable or bad choice is something that a lot of people have to deal with in life. It may not be amplified to the level of this movie, but that's what movies are. That's what entertainment, it's not entertaining if it's not amplified, right? If it's just that person lied and cheated on their test. Now, what are you going to do that? It's a lot more fun to watch it when they're stealing DVD players, <laughs> DVD. Players. I can't, they, there's at one point and they're like $5 million in DVD players or some crap. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Are there any like, VCRs in there? I don't know. I was like, I'll give you five bucks. No, no, I wouldn't actually give you five. Like pay me five bucks and I'll take your DVD. But, but anyway, um, so I think that, I think that that relatability in what this main character is dealing with, draw the appeal of this family and how he has to go about dealing with what his job is asking of him and it's interesting i mean we're living in a time and we're not gonna get into this in deep depth right here because that's not the quote place i guess for it it doesn't it doesn't make sense that's what i mean to say but like the FBI in this movie like they at one point they just want to pin it on somebody they're not interested in the truth they're interested in Getting a conviction, which is the exact kind of police work that people all across the world are protesting right now, this week, in mass. Like, and so it is understandable why you would be drawn to maybe not wanting to be part of that world in the way that Brian or Keanu Reeves. Why, why is, what is Bodie? No, Bodie's, why, why is, what's his name in Point Break? Bodie? No, Bodie's, Bodie's Kurt Russell. No, Bodie's not. Patrick Swayze. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. What's what's Keanu Reeves? <laughs> Johnny, Utah. Johnny Utah. Of course. That's what I meant. So in the way that Brian or Johnny, you know, 
are drawn to that. So I think that that's another re- And then also it's just, it's very grounded. It literally stays grounded to the streets in this movie, which it doesn't do for long in the franchise, but we're still there uh, in this one. And so I think, you know, that's like Point Break. It's very similar in that way. I mean, I think it's a great comparison and I have no problem with it because I think they're both awesome movies and plenty of movies use the exact same formula that I enjoy seeing told from a different lens with a different flair. As our friend James Harleman would say, well, quoting the great King Solomon from Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. And he would say that stories aren't new. They're just refreshed. I think that's a perfect case here. The other thing for me, Aaron, that stands out is the fact that Point Break is really heavy on the heist, whereas The Fast and the Furious is really about the relationships that get built throughout the movie. Only, I think, three times do we see the actual heist happen in the beginning and probably the middle and then near the very end. But apart from that, it's really just more background. And I think that's by design when we look at these characters, this family. I love pairs. You know that. We've talked about this on the show. And amongst this crew, it's not a it's not a gang. Mia corrects Brian. She goes, it's not a gang. It's a, it's a crew or it's a team. And he goes, okay, how did the team come together? We have these really fun relationships. We have Dom's relationship with Letty first up. And... <laughs> I got to tell you, I think these guys were made for each other. I love that the franchise. Well, yeah, Patrick, takes... that's what a screenplay is. People are literally made for each other. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Stop. And in this case, David Ayer, by the way, WTF moment when I was pulling the notes for this episode, it said David Ayer screenplay credit. I was like, what? No. <laughs> what? what? No. Out of nowhere. <laughs> so I, that was one thing I literally didn't know about this franchise. So I'm still learning, even though I love it. Always something new to learn about a great franchise. I love seeing how both Dom and Lenny are at times polar opposites, but at the same time fit so well. If there's a more egotistical person in this crew, in this team, in this family, it's Letty. There's a moment where <laughs> during the... I guess I call it the tuna sandwich incident where Letty comes in. She goes, Hey Dom, you look thirsty. Do you want something? You know, how about you get, get, how about I get you something to drink? Or how about you get me something to drink? And he's like, and he holds up a beer and she just kind of looks away like, okay, that's fine. And then later on at the house, she goes, you look tired. Why don't you come upstairs and give me a massage? She has this, angst about her but it's this powerful almost like annoying to a to a point like nobody's that over the top but i think only dom could be able to handle that kind of that kind of relationship and as i mentioned before when you see how the screenwriters have taken advantage of that in subsequent movies it really makes seeing their relationship in this first film work really well they don't just feel like a farce. They feel like a power couple almost, Aaron, where it's like if you're not cool enough to hang out with Letty, you're not cool, to ha- cool enough to hang out with Dom or vice versa. Like if Dom doesn't like it, Letty's not going to like it. You have to get buy-in from both in order to be a part of their world. 
Yeah, it's a phenomenal relationship, and it has developed over time into a beautiful, lifelong, deep friendship between Vin Diesel and Michelle Rodriguez. They are very open about it. They express it all the time. They show it to fans all the time, and it is translated on the screen. And it, and it started there. The chemistry is undeniable and instantaneous between the way these two characters are written. And I think there's so much of each of their real life personalities in those characters that it's easy for them, man. And I, I think the same thing about Brian and Paul Walker. I think these characters, the these actors slipped into these roles like butter, man, because it was just being themselves to some extent, right? Like, just being the the normal kind of people they are. And the relationship between Dom and Letty is phenomenal. And it's she's one of the strongest female characters you will ever see on screen. Because she is, like you said, part of that power couple. And this dominating force of a man that literally will not let anybody in. You can't break him. But she can. And I love that scene that you pointed out. Because the way that she looks at him, he, she's like, you're telling me what? Like, you're, you're going to do what I say. Like, you, you're not going to tell me what to do. You know what I mean? Like, cause he, th- that's one of my favorite moments in the whole movie is that pal- house party. I love, love, love it just because of the whole like vibe around it when they come in and Dom is so pissed after almost getting arrested and saved by Brian and he, you know, gives it to Vince with the like, the buster kept me out of handcuffs. And he's like, just ticked off and he's like, Give and this that's the Corona line, right? But he's like where he gives him Vince's beer. He's like, that's Vince's beer. Enjoy it, you know. And then Brian, of course, you know, pounds it right in front of him while staring him down. It, it, no, it's phenomenal. I just love it. But anyway, like that's that Letty moment. It also has one of my favorite scenes in the entire film, which is a brief shot of Letty on her stomach playing PlayStation. I love that. I think that's amazing. And I'm just like, oh, how could I love you anymore? <laughs> You're a gamer girl, too. But, um, yeah, their relationship is phenomenal, man. Like, when she walks up to him at the street race and she's like, meow, I smell skinks. Why don't you girls pack it up before I leave tread marks on your face? And Dom's like, I, I was just, I was just, and she's like, no, no, I don't want to hear it, right? And yet she's also has utter faith in him and utter trust in him. Like, that's not a moment where she's playing the... She's not playing the jealous girlfriend in a sense. Like, that's the thing. Like, we're so used to that character walking into that situation and it being a matter of, like, the guy is on the verge of cheating or the guy is flirting in a way that is inappropriate. But that's really not the case here because both of these characters, there is never an ounce of that between, of worry of that between them. You know what I mean? Um, And and I just love her power, dude. Like, it all comes kind of towards the end, too when she just smokes this random dude at race wars. And I'm just like, no wonder Dom loves this girl. You know, she is bad to the bone and she embarrasses him. And it's hilarious. And I love her. I love her. And their relationship is just amazing. It's the number one through line through the entire series. Probably, you know, obviously Dom and Brian would be there too. And that, unfortunately, was cut short. But other than that, you know, it's Dom and Letty, and that's what makes this series go. Like, they're the centerpiece. Well, and I, and I got my first taste of her during her time on the series Lost. 
and I joke because I feel like Michelle Rodriguez always plays Michelle Rodriguez, as you mentioned, that she's going to play this bad-to-the-bone female. And whether parts are written for her or she just plays the parts all the same, I think in a lot of ways she's like Keanu Reeves where she's great at playing that part because it's what you expect. And when you write a part for them that caters to their strengths, it's amazing. If you don't write it to those strengths, it comes across as a little hokey. And fortunately, the Fast and the Furious doesn't do that. It says, look, we need a woman who can hold her own, who doesn't need somebody like Dom, but when the fact that she has him makes her stronger. And that's what I get from from this movie is that she could carry her own movie, I think. And I I want to say, I don't know if it's still in development, but there was the all-female Fast and the Furious spinoff where she was headlining that. I'm still looking forward to that. And I think that seeing her lead a cast of women is going to be great to to just see how that how that plays out. You know, who knows what's going to happen from from here on out. But we always have the Fast and the Furious franchise to fall back on and her relationship with Dom is one of those one of those great ones. The other power couple in here was one that kind of came not really out of nowhere, but the one you kind of expected but you love, and that's obviously Brian and Mia. And if if you've got the power couple in Dom and Letty, you've got the more subdued couple with Brian and Mia. And it all starts with tuna on white with no crust. Like that's where love starts, my friend. It starts with tuna on white, no crust. It does for at, them. At the Toretto Diner, which, by the way, I was thinking about this. Where did that diner go? Where did that place go after the first movie? Did they sell it? Because I know that it got, you know, it kind of got forgotten about. I'm assuming that when when Dom left, when he took off in the 10-second car, who knows what happened to it. But I, I miss that place, man. I miss it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's something that we can pay attention to throughout the series, I think. I think we'll actually probably get turned on to several of those little details that, you know, even for people who've seen this series countless times, and we've watched through the entire thing together in a matter yeah. of, like, two days or something. <laughs> was it, like, three days? I don't know. It was fast. We watched the whole thing very fast. Quickly. And furious, it was it. very fast and furious, <laughs> as appropriately. But, um, no, I mean, we'll find out. But, yeah. Oh, man. Tuna and no crust. The chemistry, again, between Brian and Mia, between Paul Walker and Jordana Brewster, it's instant. It fits their personalities. Like, it's perfect. It's it, It's effortless for them. The grin on her face is just something I will never get tired of. I, she has the most wholesome look of anybody. She's like just beautiful in this way that doesn't require dressing sexy, I guess. I, I think she's a comparison. She, or she's a good, um, like a dichotomy in a way to what we see from the franchise, right? We see this culture of girls who are scantily clad. That's the way that. Um, they typically dress in these in this area, and yet here she is that she's like in this crew and she's part of it, but yet that's not her at all. She's the exact opposite of that. But she she doesn't take any crap either. Like she's an equal member, you know, of of the of the group. I mean, she's not part of the heists, but she knows about them. She understands what's happening. I love their relationship, though. I love 
how Dom and Brian are in the garage after the whole 10 second car debacle and they're talking and Mia just casually with that grin again, she just kind of shakes her head barely and she's like, he owns you now. She, she knows, right? And, and Brian didn't care because he, he's smitten with her. And I, I love the scene where they're doing the dishes and you get this great character development point of Brian is not just in this to take advantage of her. He's in there helping her with the dishes. Everybody else is watching a movie, which I found awesome, by the way. Into the Dragon. It's great movie. It's Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, not Enter the Dragon. It's not? I thought no, it was Enter the Dragon. No, it is a 1993 movie called Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Oh, I've seen that, it. I've seen it. That was directed by Rob Cohen, who oh, is also hilarious. the director of The Fast and the Furious. That's so they were watching funny. another, yeah. That's just, funny. Like the, I, it's kind of like Letty playing PlayStation. The idea of this group of people just hanging out watching a movie, it sells you on that family aspect of them. They're normal people, Patrick. Mm-hmm. They're people you'd want to hang out with and watch a movie. But yeah. yet, here's Brian, right? He's he's hanging out with Mia, and I love it. And he, he gives her that amazing, I, I don't want to call it a line, but he tells her, he says, you know, I'm here because of you. Being friends with your brother is a bonus. And I think that's part of what makes his relationship with Dom so effective for me, is that he loves Dom. He loves Mia. He loves them both individually in such different ways. There's a romantic love that he has for Mia, and there is a <laughs> David and Jonathan brotherly love, biblically speaking, between him and Dom. Dom, And I don't say that lightly. You don't get a lot of comparisons to that sort of brotherly love relationship, but this is one of them, crazy as it may sound. And it's great, man. There's just so many perfect little moments. And they're not on screen a lot together either. I think that helps because every single snippet of them we get, it's usually spaced out pretty well. And it's like, oh, yay. You know, I get like a Brian and, and Mia moment. There's that that scene where the FBI agent calls him and he's in bed with her. And, you know, he it's like the music is real dour. And he's like, he's like, yes, you know, say yes, if you understand and agree, because they're about to go bust Tran. And he's like, yes. And then the music cuts off when he goes back to Mia and you're sort of, you're on edge a little bit. You're like, oh no, is Mia, he's like just now like sealing the deal. Is, is Mia going to find out that Brian's secret agent, you know, and he just turns around and he like goes right back to making out with her. Like, like he's like nothing even happened. It's just like completely crazy how quickly he shifts back to her. Um, And I think we have an awesome moment too between the two of them when he tells her the truth and that whole sequence, the hurt on her face is so clear. And I I feel that as a viewer, I am Brian in that moment. I'm like, I'm torn because I'm with him in this relationship and I want them so bad, Patrick to be together. And I don't know what's going to happen at that point because I understand that he has just told her the truth and it has broken something that could potentially very easily not be repairable. And at that point, watching it the first time, you don't know, right, what's going to happen. But it's it's awesome. And you can see that it's a real it's a real love between the two of them. It's not just a sexual attraction. I think that makes it special as well because we're and again, in a world, a culture that sort of is 
it's it's like weird because Fast and the Furious, like promotion wise, is sort of selling how sexy it is, but yet you have Brian and Mia who clearly have more of a relationship than that. It goes so much deeper. He even tells you he's like, everything I said, I meant to you. You know, I mean, it sounds like a line, but I think he proves it to her with his actions, which I which I always champion. It's not about the words. The words are great, but like it's got to be the actions, and he does that. It's it's a phenomenal relationship. I agree. And watching them go through that, I think it's important to see that there's no resolution at the end of this. That we don't see him riding off in the sunset with Mia. Like, oh, she forgives him. No, he left broken hearts. He left, and he puts himself in a position where he has to make a choice and that choice brings him to a place where he's going to have to hurt one or both that he's going to lose something. And I think by the end of the movie, he gives himself an opportunity to make that choice. And I think he's got closure with it because I think he's done right for, by everybody. The moment that stood out to me with both of them is, just after he's told her the truth and they're in the car and they're trying to find Dom and he calls, I guess the FBI field office and gives them his badge number or something like that. And you see this look on her face and it's almost as if she said, I didn't believe it fully. Now I do. I can't believe this is actually happening that you really are a cop. And even the way in which she delivers the line of giving her giving Dom's phone number, you can just hear how hurt she is. And you wonder, you know, what is going through her head? Is she doing right? What is she feeling? And I think that Jordana Brewster is a fantastic actress. And I love that we see more of her, that she has a role, that throughout this franchise, just like Letty, they see a good thing. And with good writing... And with good character development, they've rounded her out that this isn't just a one-off person, that it's not a relationship that he's hit it and quit it, kind of, but genuinely he's in love with her. And we're left at the end of the movie with, gosh, did Brian get what he wanted or did he do the right thing? Can both be the same thing? And I think that's what's great about the end of the movie is that we're left with some of that tension. We're left with what was the right thing? And I don't know that that would be necessarily as effective if we didn't have Brian's relationship with Dom as part of that. This is where I think the movie is anchored, is in their, is in their relationship. And ultimately, the, the franchise banks on this quite a bit, especially after the, the third movie where we get them reunited in four but Dom and Brian's relationship is just that. It's that that Jonathan and David relationship where you see two people who are really kind of feeling each other out. They're like, are you who you say you are? There's a fantastic line at the beginning when Brian's getting into the fight with Vince and Dom grabs his, <laughs> grabs his wallet and he says, Brian Spilner. That sounds like a serial killer name. Are you a serial killer? <laughs> I was going to bring this up. I like did a double take 
when he said his name in the movie because I was like, Spillner? Like, who the hell is Brian Spillner? Yeah. Because we don't know him as Brian Spillner. We know him as Brian O'Connor, O'Connor. Yeah. right? Um, and it was it was like, oh, oh, yeah, I forgot. Like, he's still undercover at this point. Right. And so what makes their relationship so appealing is the fact that Brian is unapologetic about who he is. You said earlier, we were talking about the franchise offline, and you said you love how Brian's California flavor doesn't change throughout the series, that he's still <laughs> saying things like, dude, beginning with that first moment, dude, I almost had you. Yes. And seeing him get cut down, seeing the look on his face, like, I would feel completely humiliated, but he's almost like soaking it up. And you can almost feel him going, I want to be a part of this. And so when he rescues Dom from the from the raid or, or the thing that's happening afterwards, the, the car chase, I think that, he, well, he says it best. He goes, I, you know, I, I thought I could get into your good graces. He goes, you are my good graces, but you're not keeping your car. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Seeing their relationship develop over the course of the, you know, hour and a half, two hours, it's almost as if, Aaron, you see Brian getting comfortable with Dom as much as Dom is getting comfortable with Brian because they're both out to prove something to each other without necessarily meaning to. Brian doesn't know what it's going to take to get into the world of Dom and this world of street racing. He's doing whatever he can do from a undercover agent standpoint. But Dom is trying to figure out who this guy is and what he can say or not say. And there's a great moment when we see the, uh, I guess it's the Hispanics, Hector and his gang, and they're at El Gato uh, Blanco, or yeah, the Black Cat Blanco, I think that's what it's called. I can't remember. Oh, no, the El Gato Negro is what it was called. And... Brian is caught by Dom and Vince checking out everybody's cars. And Vince, who is kind of the idiot, he's really the only one that figures this out. He's a cop. He smells like a cop. And Dom's like, are you a cop? He's like, no, no, no. And there's this really great tense moment where he's like, okay, what are you going to say, Brian? So I feel like this whole relationship is all about both of them trying to prove and gain each other's trust. And it's what makes the relationship a lot of fun to watch. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this setting is what makes the way we get to eventually experience their relationship and their brotherhood as it grows so effective and compelling and like emotionally riveting. Like it's why we cry when we hear Vin Diesel talk about Paul Walker, you know, because we get the background of it it's not just immediate it's built over time it is a slow burn (laughs) and that will always strengthen a story for you when that happens you know frodo and sam their relationship is not nearly the same for us if we watch them start off on their journey and rocket fire to mount doom in a matter of one three-hour movie no we watch, we spend so much time with them going through trials and tribulations and all these things to the point where by the end, we're like, man, you know, you guys went through some stuff together and you came out on the other end and now you're stronger for it. 
and then you're right. It's awesome. I, I love that scene too, by the way. First of all, I love Hector. He's not part of the crew and he's not really like in here to talk about him and Ja Rule, both fantastic supporting performances in this movie. But I just, I love Hector. I don't know why, but like he cracks me up. I think he's amazing. And some of the lines that him and Ja Rule have early in the film are hilarious, especially during that race sequence. I got They're a just, last name, but I can't pronounce it. It's that one. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's the one. That one. And then the whole like, you know, when Ja Rule gets told like, this one's Monica, you know, but you get, you get me no matter what, but if you win, you get her. And just the way he like, whoo, he like gets all excited and he like sits down in his car and he's like, you're going to win, baby. You're going to win. You know what I mean? Like, and then when he loses, and, and goes, then when he loses, what are you talking about? She's like, what are you talking about? You didn't and, win. And then of Be- course his yeah. whole group is like, oh, yeah, I know. Oh, it's so good. Anyway, we don't really have a section for them. So now I got that out of the way, but yes. I love that moment too. And I love that moment for Vince because it gives Vince a depth that most movies don't give Vince. That character is continually just the meathead. He's just the hothead, right? Who's ticked off because he likes Mia and doesn't want this random dude breaking into the crew. He wants to keep it for themselves. But, um, it, it, so it's, it's good for him. But Brian and Dom are just so special. The way that they meet. Like they meet with Dom breaking up the fight between he and Vince. And it's a great scene because, you know, it's after the tuna thing and Vince is clearly going to go after him. And this is one of Leon's like shining moments when he's in the background. And this is the moment when I was like, who's that dude that just said that? And he's like, Oh, I love this part. <laughs> he knows Vince is going after Brian. Well, and a they, sandwich or something, right? <laughs> yeah. He throws it, throws it at him. And they like get into this fight and then, you know, Dom breaks it up and, Brian, right away, he challenges Dom. He does not back down from him from the jump. He's like, hey, man, he was in my face. And that's when we get the, I'm in your face, you know. And you're like, oh, I mean, I'm thinking, okay, Brian, like, that was, you showed some balls. Like, now it's time to back off. (laughs) Although, Vin Diesel is awfully skinny and small in this movie, comparatively. I don't know if you noticed this, but, like, when you see him now (laughs) and you think about what he looked like in this movie... Cut off like, auto t-shirts help. He's, with, yeah. he's still big in this movie, which is what makes it crazy. But like comparatively, it's like, uh, uh-uh, he's like twice as big now. It's he's wild. Size, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, it, it starts off with that great confrontation in which Brian shows him right away. I'm not backing down from you. And that continues with the, you almost had me, you know, you never had your car. Awesome moment. And I think when, Brian picks him up to save him. You know, you get this first act of Brian sort of breaking the law, I guess you would say. I mean, I guess you could kind of say he's doing that when he's street racing, but this is the first real act, like where he's actually aiding and abetting a criminal. And you can tell that he's not just acting. Like, it's very obvious that there is this bond that is slowly growing between them and that he has a respect and I think it that scene when they go back to the house is part of what really makes that strong because Brian understands like, listen, this is a guy that does respect what I did for him just now. You know what I mean? Like it, it's special to him and it means something. And the scene that I really think sells their relationship, which is interesting. And, and this kind of ties into the whole family thing, but like, 
it's not the two of them together. It's when Brian gets blamed for the failed bust on train and he goes back to the little FBI house and it's when he flips out and like attacks the guy and his boss tells him, he's like, it's Toretto, Brian. It's always been Toretto. And I think we kind of get to walk through that moment with Brian where we realize you've known that like we knew that and you knew that and everybody knows and we none of us want to understand nobody wants to agree with that like we have come to fall in love with dom at that point already and so we don't want dom to go down we understand why brian doesn't want dom to go down and it's really what makes family the defining theme of the series is right there even though they're not they haven't called themselves that yet by the way um in fact the only character who actually uses the word family in this movie is during this scene when he says, well, that's a choice he's going to have to make. He's talking about Dom because Brian says Dom's not going back to prison. He says, well, that's a choice he's going to have to make. There's all kinds of family, Brian. That's a choice you're going to have to make. So crazy, right? Like we use the one more takeaway family and it's mentioned one time in this whole movie and it's only from an FBI agent who's a side character, <laughs> you know, but that line that's what it's all about right there. It's a choice he's going to have to make. And it's a choice you're going to have to make. And it's almost like the FBI's agent is saying, I understand. Like, I'm not going to say I condone it, but I get it. And I love that realization, right? I, I love it. And, and our connecting point really, spoiler, speaks to their relationship even more. So we're kind of leaving that out right now. But it's great. It's the way that Dom looks when Brian gets on his cell phone and starts making that call with his badge number, the rage and betrayal that you see on his face is devastating. It it crushes me because you're like, you don't want that for them. Like you, you want him to save the life. You, you understand both sides, but like you don't want their relationship to suffer. And even when, Brian shows up and confronts him after the arrest and Dom's got the charger out in the driveway for the first time. And, and Brian pulls up with his gun. I, I don't think anybody in their right mind watches that scene thinking for a second that Brian's going to shoot Dom, right? I'm not even a hundred percent sure he's actually going to arrest him. It's, it's kind of ambiguous as to what his true intention is. And the way that again, Dom's face the look on his face, the need to go after Jesse, right? And get out of the way, Brian. This relationship has developed so much over this one small little movie of like 90 minutes at that point to where we completely understand these two men standing there macho in a driveway with guns on each other, basically both almost ready to like cry because neither one of them wants this. Like Brian wants him to go save Jesse. Like he, he understands. And then of course, you know, Dom crying and I mean, just the whole thing, the whole ending, the, the drag race, the look on their faces when they cross the line together. Right when they clear the train tracks, there's two looks, one right before when they both silently glance at each other and acknowledge like we're going for this, like it's happening. This is a thing. <laughs> the second being the smile of like. We just did this thing together. And then, of course, the wreck. And 
the amazing, what I consider ending of here's the keys, like I owe you a 10 second car. I actually was thinking about it, Patrick. I was like, man, would this actually be a satisfying conclusion to the movie if we didn't get any more franchise? Like, would it be enough the way that Brian hands in the keys? Dom just drives off. He didn't even say anything, Patrick. He doesn't say a word. He's, well, I mean, he says, are you sure about this? You know, you know what you're doing. But like after that, he doesn't say thank you or anything. He just gets in the car and leaves. And Brian's like, mm, boom. I'm sorry. We walk off all, you know, slow motion style, zoom out or zoom in on his face. But, um, yeah, I was like, man, I would feel so unfulfilled at this point. Like, I'm glad we got more of their relationship. But I, it's it's so well developed, I guess, is I'm walking through it because I just love it so much. But it's so well developed from the very first moment of respect all the way to the very end. Right. It's respect from all the way in between. I would have been satisfied with that ending because of the fact that we're left with a character the last shot is on Brian, who is living with his choices. And his choices have potentially sacrificed a relationship with a girl that he loves, sacrificed a relationship with a guy who he's, in this deep brotherly way, learned to care for. And I think the movie is meant to allow us to feel that kind of multitude of different things where we are maybe... Not satisfied in the result, but for me, satisfied in the conclusion that this is a realistic conclusion. We assume that Brian's going to get his badge taken away. We assume that Dom's going to ride off into the sunset. And, you know, we don't have a lot of conclusion for the rest of the of the team. At this point, obviously, we get that as the franchise goes on. But I find that when we look at Dom and Brian's relationship, there was something interesting when I watched this time around. One of the detectives makes that snarky comment after the train arrest where he says, I think the girl is clouding your judgment. And he says, what? And he goes, yeah, I'd get off on her, uh, whatever her mugshots to or whatever. And he just, he starts attacking him. Well, first time around you're thinking, oh yeah, Mia's clouded his judgment. No, I don't think so. I think me is part of that, but I think his relationship with Dom has clouded his judgment. And that conversation that the detective has with him, it's always been Toretto, Brian. I mean, he has engulfed himself into this world that has seduced him. The world of street racing has seduced him. And this guy has seduced him with this, not just having power, but having this influence, man. Like the same way he brings in the 10 minute car. And he says, this is a garage, not a junkyard. And he says, if you can't find the tool that you're looking for in here, you don't deserve to be here. And Mia says, he owns you now. And it goes to that whole montage, which I love, of getting this car looking amazing. But seeing how he looks at Dom as a big brother almost. He wasn't rescuing Dom that night, I don't believe, because he was trying to find a way in. I don't think he ever wanted to believe that Dom was that way. And that night, that conversation in the car, I think started to cloud his judgment and his reasoning behind not wanting to pursue Dom. And that team was the fact that Dom wasn't going to go back to prison. It wasn't for fear that he was saying that it was like, no, he's too controlled for this. And it took seeing those photos, Aaron of 
to attempt to convince Brian that Tom is not controlled. And of course it gets kind of fleshed out during the scene we're talking about uh, for our connecting point. But I think seeing that relationship work its way from beginning, middle and end is really satisfying because it's one that we don't get to see a lot. We don't get to see these solid brotherly relationships that feel meaningful at the end of their story and to see how it plays out all the way up through Brian's story arc. It's fantastic. It's really, really great. And the filmmakers, the writers, they double down on that relationship because they know it's good. And you're exactly right. I really believe it's because this cast of people genuinely love each other. They genuinely care for one another. And that comes out on the big screen, which is a benefit to us. I mean, we get the icing on the cake because of that. <laughs> well, before we get into our connecting points, I wanted to talk about the really the crux of the movie, which is this whole idea of the heist and the underground street racing. And as we mentioned before, this almost takes a backseat to everything we've talked about in a good way where it, we're kind of get it that, getting that reminder that, oh, yeah, there's a heist going on. There's this crazy group of four cars with neon undercarriages going after these truck drivers. And what that does is that helps introduce us to these side characters that you mentioned, you know, Hector and Johnny Tran and his brother uh, riding their crotch rockets. I thought this was a, a great addition to the movie. I like the fact that the movie fills itself out with these other characters that while we don't get a lot of screen time with them, they help kind of push the overall excitement of the story along. Because when this movie first came out, we weren't looking for a family movie. We were looking for an action adventure, big street racing. Oh my gosh, I want to be a part of this. And it delivered. Granted, it's gotten a lot more exacerbated as the movies go on, and rightly so, because once you get a big, loud explosion, another big, loud explosion doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't feel as big. You have to get something bigger. Just ask a guy like Michael Bay. Everything just has to get bigger and bigger and bigger. To a fault sometimes, but I think what I liked most about this is that we got the right balance of street racing, got the right balance of heist, and we had the overall tone of family kind of mixed in throughout that held all those things together. So we weren't distracted by one thing more than another. Yeah, it's really well balanced. I think that's a good way to put it because it's not throughout the whole movie. It's very brief. And I think it's similar to what we see in Point Break. We get the initial blast of a heist where we're introduced to that crew right and the, the iconic masks and all that with the presidents but it's it's similar to that. like if you get an iconic heist and then you really just you're you're about getting to know the people it's not about what they're doing on the side and that's also part of the point is it's on the side like it is the essence of like hey we do this every once in a while because it brings some money in that kind of sustains our lifestyles it's not like I'm doing this constantly because I want to do it and I want to hurt people. In fact, they're actually fairly pacifist. If you think about it, like the way that they talk about the trucker, like they're not out there trying to wreck the trucks and hurt the truckers. You know, they're not, they don't have weapons to my knowledge. They're not shooting at people. The only weapons we see are Johnny Tran or in the very end we see Vin or uh, 
dumb or whatever, but like, it, it's not about that for them. And, and I think that that is a, a pretty great element of it. And, and, you know, it's flashy. It's awesome, but it's a really unique way to also kind of deconstruct the crew up. Like you don't get the crew up because they're already a crew. So it's backwards. Like you meet the crew and then you learn about the roles and you learn about the people behind the crew instead of your typical heist film formula where you meet one and then they go get another and then another and they bring them together. And by the end of the movie, they feel like they're truly a unit. This one, you're starting off with them a unit. And I think that that's in many ways more compelling because it gives a higher buy-in to their safety and what's happening to them, frankly. There's an important aspect that I'd forgotten about that you reminded me of, which is the fact that they don't use weapons. And in Point Break, that's the same way. I think the dead presidents, they hold guns, but they don't actually fire them at all. And that's important to know because, as you mentioned, the intent is not to scare or hurt. Well, maybe to scare. To scare for, in order to get the merchandise. Those great DVD players that uh, are going for lots of money. Six million. I found my notes. Six million ripped off DVD players is what <laughs> is what Tran had. And I mean, so we assume they're sealing similar, you know, device. I'm guessing they stole the PlayStation that Letty's playing on. Probably. probably. And probably Dragon, the movie as well. Probably some that would, somebody was giving that away. I recently, <laughs> I actually recently just watched that and I realized, wow, this is not the greatest uh, biopic on Bruce Lee at all. <laughs> Anyway, but the fact that they don't use weapons, I think, says a lot about the fact that they're calculated, but they're calculated in what they understand they can do. None of these guys are criminals in a sense that they've had records necessarily. Dom, I think, is at that point in the movie, the only person that we know has been to prison and has experienced something pretty tragic. I would imagine that all these guys have some kind of arrest record, but spending time in high security prison is probably not something that we know Letty's doing or Vince or Jesse. These are just people that follow Dom's lead. They just kind of gravitate towards him. And I think that the calculated way in which they pull off the heist it's beautiful to watch like it's a lot of fun to watch because we see that (laughs) that car going underneath the semi which i don't know if it would really happen because i don't think semis are jacked up that high i think it's for the sake of that particular stunt but it's a great way to open the movie because we're not getting the heist being highlighted we're getting the street racing being highlighted and that's really what the appeal is i mean i think we i miss race wars if john if if lynn doesn't get us some race wars i'm gonna be pissed i'm telling you in these last two movies i need race wars i'm I'm with you i'm with you when we got the when we got the abbreviated kind of reprise of race wars i was like oh are we going no we're not it's a tease it's a tease and hopefully hopefully fast nine will maybe it'll center around race wars the corrupt world of race wars i don't know and bring in back space. Hector too while you're at it. Race wars in space. Race space wars. Maybe <laughs> they'll maybe they'll find Tom Cruise up there. 
Or Matt Damon. <laughs> oh, everybody finds Matt Damon. It was somebody they gotta go rescue him. <laughs> All right. Well, it is connecting point time. And I think the only scene that we haven't talked about is both of our connecting points. And that's, of course, Dom showing Brian his dad's charger for the first time. Aaron, why don't you get us started with this one? Yeah, this scene is just so good. And it is so critical to both the plot and really to the relationship of Brian and Dom, both in this movie and to how it develops throughout the entire series, honestly, because what's happening here is our first moment and one of the only times in the entire series, to be honest, that Dom gets real with somebody, anybody, and like talks about his feelings. And it tells you so much about his respect for Brian right then in there, in the middle of the movie, like how it's developed because he doesn't do this to other people, right? This is not the Dom persona that we know. And it, it's not like the walls come completely down. The only time we really see that happen is when he's got Jesse in his arms and he's crying out. But like, here is where he trusts Brian. He lets Brian into a piece of him in this moment that solidifies why he can be so upset in the end when he feels so betrayed. He's like, Dom, why have you never driven this amazing car? Like, what's your best time in her? And he says, it scares the shit out of me. And he, he tells us that story about Kenny Lindner and how his dad died in this fire and how he just couldn't help himself out of anger. And he just was beating Lindner. And it comes again, man. I feel like the writing is so underrated because we know, the reason this moment hits for us is because we've already been told by an FBI agent through a flippant conversation with Brian that Dom is this awful, evil person who beat a guy to death almost beat a guy to death, right? Context. Think about your local media right now, for goodness sakes. Like, context. What is the surrounding circumstances around this beating? Not that it justifies it, but, like, if we want to understand a character and understand a person's feelings. And so we get that, and, and we learn, like, oh, and, and what's amazing is the way Dom at the end of this is telling about Kenny Linder and he's like, he's a janitor now, you know, he can't hardly walk. Dom has followed up on this. Dom has checked in on this guy. He clearly, clearly has regrets about this situation. It's very obvious. And, it, and he also got banned from the tracks for life, which is like something he super cared about, right? It's like taking away something someone loves They've got to replace that with something. And Dom is sort of always searching for that, I think. And that high, you know, he even then this is the great speech. This is the iconic Fast and the Furious moment. I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Nothing else matters. Not the Morgues, not the store, not my team and all their bullshit. I love that, by the way. For those 10 seconds or less, I'm free. Setting up the ending, which is perfect. Again, point break like Bodie has a very similar conversation with Johnny. It's why it's such a big deal when Johnny goes out there to find him surfing that wave, why he's got to let him do it, why it's so important that 10 seconds, that's when I'm free. That's all I've got. Let me have that. And so I love it, man. It, it, suck, it, it really it just seals that relationship so well. And you also, you also have an element of the fact that this is all, in, in addition to that, it is the moment where 
Dom admits or lets Brian know, I guess, that he understands that he and Mia are becoming a thing. Because he mentions it. And I think he allows Brian to continue sort of with his unsaid blessing in a way. So it's the moment, man. It is everything. It informs the entire series all the way to their final moments together. Um, and, and I love it so, 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 so much. Yeah, I agree. And that's why it's my connecting point too. There's a level of vulnerability that is uncommon in movies like this, which I think is appealing. There's that vulnerability that, that comes across in a way that feels believable because Dom is a hard guy and he hints at this conflict that he has where he says in the car after Brian picks him up, he says, I'll never go back when he talks about his history with being in prison because Brian talks about being a wheel man and doing some time. And that gets more informative when he starts talking about this story, which, as you mentioned, puts context to those photos. And I think Dom is conflicted because he understands that what he did was wrong, but he also understands that he can't change it. He can't, he has to live with that struggle. And for him, where he's free is those 10 seconds or less. He's not thinking about anything. He's able to put his life down for just a moment. And I think that's why it's not about anything else but those 10 seconds that he could care less about the money, about his team, about any of this stuff. It's not even about prestige, Aaron. And I think that's what he meant partly by winning's winning, because I think he might say this is me projecting, but I think he would say winning is also about racing. It's also about doing the thing. Yeah, I won by a half second or a half mile. doesn't matter. Winning's winning. And I think that goes along with it. But I think that's why the one of the through lines to this is these recurrences of Dom and Brian racing each other. Because the freedom that Dom has is still embedded in those 10 seconds or less. And I think eventually he's able to release that. But that truth still lives from that very first conversation. I also love like you, the fact that he opens up to Brian, that he says, okay, I trust you. And it's heartbreaking when he finds out that Brian's a cop. And so he's like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me with this? And I think it makes perfect sense that he doesn't say thank you when he grabs the keys. I think it's almost like a mutual apology. Like, I forgive you, I forgive you. And he heads off. And that, for me, that's why I think the movie ends on such a great note without necessarily needing sequels. I'm glad we got them. But I think it's why it feels complete to me is that they've both made their peace. They still have to live with the choices they're making. But I think for both of them, they've made their peace with it. And it wouldn't have been possible without that conversation. And it wouldn't have been possible without that conversation in in the garage there. Well, that wraps up another episode here at Feelin' Film. Aaron, before we finish out, I believe you have an announcement to make. Yeah, you know, for longtime listeners, you may have heard me speak about this 
I don't know, five, six, seven episodes. I don't know what the number is, but a month or two ago when I announced that I had started up a dream of mine and made a video game podcast and it was it was called gotta be gaming and it lasted a few episodes and to be fair many of my creative projects are like this <laughs> they will start up and then they will die a quick sudden death but what ended up happening with gotta be gaming is i stepped back from the type of podcast that that was patrick because it was essentially a copy of what many podcasts in the world of gaming were providing and I don't know that I could do it any better than them. And I sort of reevaluated what I wanted to put out there and what could be unique, what could be interesting, much like we did with feel and film. And I sort of stumbled onto this idea that is very similar in a sense or in, I guess, heart to what feel and film is all about. And so I worked hard for about a month and a half putting this together and finally released it into the wild, and I'm very excited to say it is now launched. The podcast is called The Games We Love, and the tagline or the selling quick little elevator speech is this. The show promotes positive gaming discussion, and it features interviews and conversations with passionate gamers, and I am interviewing journalists, developers, podcasters, Twitch streamers, critics and other diehard video game fans always about a personal favorite game that they love so the podcast is three sections it's an hour or less each episode i interview someone we talk about what we've been playing recently give some recommendations about the things that we've really been enjoying and then we talk in depth about a game that they love they pick the game i don't so it's something that every single episode you're going to hear passion about and it has been awesome the response from the game industry world patrick has been great i've gotten some big names i've gotten some folks from GameSpot, some folks from ign some of the big sites kind of funny games podcast if you're not a gamer and you're hearing this right now i know i'm speaking greek but if you are and you're in that world just know that this is something i'm also very passionate about just like movies and i'm excited and so if you're into video games would love for you to check it out it's called the games we love Patrick will be on it eventually, uh, pretty soon, actually, which is going to be great. And yeah, so it's out there. All the podcast services around the world, you can find it. Thanks for letting me spout my marketing pitch, Patrick. Excellent. Well, I am looking forward to seeing that come to life. While you're waiting on that to drop, be sure to tune in in just a few days from now. We are going to continue our furious love with Too Fast, Too Furious. Aaron, thanks for another great conversation, and we will talk soon. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.